Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, the podcast for curious event professionals who want to stay ahead of the game by hearing from the leading innovators in the event industry. My name is Miguel Nebsch and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of EventMB. In this episode titled Simplicity as the Key to Event Success, I have the pleasure of speaking with Alicia Shiro, CEO and founder of Aced Events. Our conversation focuses on how independent planners can deal with the challenges and opportunities they are currently facing. We talk about how providing a better alternative is the secret to managing client expectations. We talk about why giving attendees choice is so important. We talk about interaction and how it's crucial in hybrid events. And we talk about what opportunities exist for event professionals in the metaverse. And we talk about why the event industry needs to be more united in order to be recognized. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation, and I invite you to check out the other episodes of the Event Manager Podcast with tips and insights from today's most influential event professionals. You can find all the episodes on our website or subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast. I am delighted to be joined by Alicia Shiro, the CEO and founder of Aced Events. Alicia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So um, we've only really met very recently, but I've, I've read a lot about you. I've done a bit of research about your work and I've seen other things that you've done, but I'd love to um, hear from you directly. Um, how would you describe yourself? And if you could tell us a little bit about your career, uh, how did you get to be you? Sure. Um, well, I think um, my journey started uh, in trade shows. I was working for a technology company and I started doing their trade shows and we would build a booth and, you know, the typical um, trade show uh, technology conferences. Um, and I was at that company for about six years. And then from there, um, I ended up in an advertising company, which was um, kind of unique in, in its own uh, sense of the word um, advertising. <laughs> so they are a traditional advertising company, but we actually had a 5,000 square foot venue in our office that uh, we would hold our internal town halls in and stuff like that. And during the day, it was a cafe. And at night, it was a bar. So we had a licensed bar in our office, which was super unique. And uh, as you can imagine, fun. Um, So I started doing our global client events in that space. And then um, I started to see that there was a a demand for that space for our clients, um, even when it didn't involve our company. They wanted to host their events in our space and would want me to do it for them. So uh, we actually turned it into kind of a revenue generating machine and we would um, lease the space to them, you know, for that night. 
to host their event. And then internally, we would take that money and use it for the employees to have our employee events. So our holiday parties, our summer parties. Uh, so we were able to fund those and do some really cool and exciting stuff. Um, and I was able to work with a lot of global brands at that time, and it really built my clientele. And so when I left there, I went to a startup event planning company and um, I took some of those clients with me and, you know, we were doing their events and I was a partner at this uh, event startup and I was there um, for a little over two years. Um, you know, there were some issues uh, with management and hiring and all of these different things as a partner. And I just saw where it was going. And I was kind of like, I think it's time for me to start my own business. So that's how Wasted Events was born. That sounds great. It sounds like a, a great kind of organic growth, right? So sort of from venue to understanding. And did you have any sort of training in the, the management of the events? How did you kind of, was it just by sort of doing and learning? Correct. Yeah. Doing and learning. Um, yeah. I mean, it's one of those, you know, sink or swim types of things. Uh, when I was in college, which I only went to a community college and there was no event planning, there was no, there was maybe marketing, but it wasn't for really events. It was more marketing a product or something like that. So there was no school background that you could kind of, you know, go to college for at that time. Um, so I'm dating myself, but yes, that's, uh, so it was just kind of, you know, learn as you go trial by fire. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we hear kind of similar things from a lot of, of people in the events. And so this is kind of a fun question, but, but I think it has a serious side to it as well. When you, um, explain to friends and family, what you do, those that are maybe outside of the event industry, what do you, what do you say to them? Right. Um, I basically just say I have an event production company and we plan corporate events. I think that kind of just sums it up and keeps it simple because most people will be like, oh, you plan parties. <laughs> and I always like laugh at that, you know, nothing because it's just like, you know, it's just the dumbed down version of like what event planners do. You know, it's more than just planning a party, even if you want to say you're just planning a party. You're never just really planning a party. You're driving attendance. You're getting people to come. There's so many intricacies. Like, you know, you're hiring multiple vendors for one event. I mean, there's more, it's more than just, you know, the term planning a party. But I always love when someone says you're a party planner. But uh, yeah, in a sense, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that keeps it simple, right? I think it at least it gives people a, an obvious kind of reference point, right? Keeps it simple, yeah. So, I mean, let's get serious for a second. Um, you know, it's events or many events are much more than, than planning parties. And I, I think you'll agree that events can be valuable and great events can be valuable. Um, what in your mind, if there is a way to generalize this, really differentiates a an event, you know, any event from a kind of great event, what what makes events go from, you know, good existing, functioning, exactly good to great? What what is what sets those great events apart? Yeah, I mean, and I think that's what my company specializes in. Aced Events looks for that unique element that does take the event from good to great. So one of the ways that we like to do that is, you know, what we look at is if a client can go and purchase 
the same thing that we're curating for them, then what's the point of them hiring us? Like what drives us is we want to give you something that you can't go and do yourself. So for example, um, one of my clients was looking for a way to reach all of their partners and customers in 20 cities. They do these road shows. So when doing a road show, you have maybe 20 people in every city that are their top partners and customers that they want to get in front of. So what is the best way to do that? And what is the way to get them to show up to this event? Because they're going after C-level executives. These C-level executives are getting invited out four out of five days of the week. So your event needs to be good enough to get them to even want to show up. So the way we do that is offering something unique that they couldn't just go and do on their own. So whether that's driving an exotic car with a race car driver, that's teaching them something new that they would not normally do on their own. So we bring in that expert. It's about access to people or places that they normally would not have access to. So one of the biggest things that we've done um, was a 20 city tour with the rock band Foreigner. So when we did this tour, not only did they get to see the show, which anyone can go to a concert, right? But this was a backstage tour with the lead singer. You get to meet and greet the entire band. You're hanging out with them. You're going to a beer tasting with them. You're doing all of these things behind the scenes before the concert even starts. So that was something unique and different that they would never be able to do um, on their own. And again, like another thing was what I mentioned earlier, driving an exotic car. Well, anyone can go drive an exotic car, but we're bringing you an expert in that's teaching you how to drive the car. You know, he's, he is a professional race car driver um, and you're driving a race car or an exotic car, whatever car you're driving. And then there could be, you know, any kind of sporting event or, you know, if we're taking you to Yankee Stadium, hopefully we're getting you on the, you know, on the pitcher's mound for a photo and you're doing a tour of the locker room and you're meeting one of the players. So there's always these elements that we're adding in to make the event an exceptional experience. So, so that, I think that that answers that question very well. And um, what, what I mean, of course, access is a big part of that, right? Yeah. But is there more to it? Is there, uh, you know, uh, safety, security, risk management? Uh, is there kind of planning that you see as really important that maybe individuals may not have kind of foreseen? Like what other kind of, um, you know, what other kind of ROI do you deliver for your uh, clients? Right. And I think that's the big question, right? The ROI, that's what they're always looking for. Like the number one thing I think people are so like planners are so caught up in all the details and making it a successful event that you forget what the goal of the event is. Yes, all of that is priority. It has to be exceptional. It has to be great. It has to be, it has to hit all of these elements, right? But if you forget the client's goal, then the event could be as great as anything you've ever done. But if they don't sell anything during that event, you miss the mark. The whole point is they're looking to close deals. That's not on us. But what is on us is to get these people to show up so that they're able to get in front of them and have that time to connect with them and get a deal done. Like, you know, you could be spending a million dollars on an event, but remember, it only takes one deal to recoup that money. So the, the you know, these corporate entities are closing deals that are worth 
you know, millions of dollars. So that's the goal of the event. The goal of the event is to always be closing, you know, ABC, always be closing, right? So that's the goal of the event. So you have to create that environment where they're able to do that. So for example, if the music is too loud in a restaurant or the music is too loud anywhere and they can't have a conversation, that already defeats the purpose. You have to have a plan, time set up, where they get that one-on-one -on -one alone quiet time to have these conversations and that they're doing something that they can connect on and relate to. The whole reason you're doing an experience is to share something. The whole point is to share something in common so that you can follow up with them two weeks later and be like, hey, remember that great event we went to and I told you I was going to get back to you on this? Well, I got it and here it is. It's the follow-up that comes after the event. So it's all of these goals that the client has that have to stay at the forefront of your mind when executing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It just thought of something. I mean, when you have a diverse set of clients and they might have different business objectives, different kind of needs, are you ever saying no to anybody? And, and if you are, could you talk a little bit about sort of why you would ever say no to a client? Yes, there's, yeah, you definitely have to manage expectations. So it's not that you're saying no, right? I never say no, because I don't like when people say no to me. There's always a way. There's always a way, figure it out. That's my advice. Like you, you ha your job is to figure it out. If you're saying no, they can hire anyone to say no. So the point is do your homework and figure it out and come up with, an alternative. So you're never really saying no. Your job is to change their mind, right? So you have to lead them down the road of explaining why this is not the best idea, but here's what I think is going to work better for you. So it's more about managing the expectation. You're not saying no, you're offering an alternative and that alternative has to be better. So you're looking for something that, you know, is going to get the same end result, but in a more effective way. Yeah, I like that. The alternative has to be better. That seems like a really good thing to kind of direct people to kind of, oh, there's a shiny right. object over here that it, maybe it's shinier in a different way, but hopefully you'll find that interesting. Right. And there was a lot of that with the virtual when the uh, entire world shut down and, ev and events were, you know, no longer events. Um, when we quickly pivoted to doing virtual, um, you know, clients at first were like, well, should we bring in production? Should we do all these things? Like, what do we got to make it look great? And like all of this stuff. And I was like, okay, well, um, I understand what you're saying, but my perspective was why spend all of this money if we don't know if it's going to work or not. So I think we can get the same result not bringing in full production where, you know, use a laptop. We got a little ring light. We're doing like like, you know, you can dumb it down enough to where maybe you're spending $200 on equipment, you're getting a webcam, you're getting a little light, you got a little microphone, what's that, $200, we'd buy the equipment, ship it out to the talent and teach them how to set it up. As opposed to bringing in major production, spending $5,000, you know, which at the time didn't make a lot of sense. So I was like, let's do it this way first. And they were like, all right, let's try it your way. You know, we'll see how it goes. Why spend the money? You're right. Let's let's try it. So we do one or two, see how it goes. And it was it was a great decision because we didn't need to spend all that money on equipment. We got the same result. And again, though, this was in 2020, right? 
2021. It was time to level up. We're bringing in full production. We're getting lights. It, we're now we're producing, you know, TV shows. So, you know, there's there's a scale, right? There's a scale as things go on. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And you reminded me of this kind of period in 2020 where it sort of became the thing to send speakers, you know, a nice microphone and a, and a better camera or something like that. That seems really far away now. I mean, do you still do that for any clients or is that sort of nope. assumed that most people have that already? Exactly. Yep. If they, they mostly everyone now does have it. And if they don't then, and now we're at the point where we are bringing in full production because people now are okay with having um, techs on site and we're using switchboards because we're live streaming. So you can't necessarily teach someone, you know, how to operate a switchboard too and do the event. So, um, so it, it's definitely has developed since then. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about this, this kind of development. Okay. You, you know, you were doing, of course, in-person meetings and then, of, you know, we all had to pivot, unfortunately, or fortunately, you know, depending on how you look at it, but talk to me a little bit about the development. I mean, you, you picked a really interesting time there when, when kind of we, we went virtual and we were kind of figuring it out. Can you pinpoint sort of different phases of how your production and the work that you're doing in virtual hybrid or in person has sort of developed? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, so 2020, we kept it very much, um, you know, uh, I would say bare bones and in a sense of like, we were shipping out cameras, webcams, microphones, earbuds, if they didn't have them. And then I would say after six months of doing that, it was okay, look, now you're going to go buy the stuff you've done. Like my talent that I was working with, I mean, we were busy. 2020 was my best year. So, you know, a few months in, I'm like, all right, guys, you got to spend the money. Like we're doing all these events. Like you're going to spend a little money and you're going to get all this equipment because now you're making like, you know, they were doing well. And they Is this were okay the, with the talent, like professional speakers yeah. or, or kind of, yep. okay. So we're talking celebrities, we're talking, you know, their assistants, um, all kinds of talent, bartenders that I was working with, mixologists, sommeliers, everyone. So now they started to invest in their own equipment because even if they're not doing it with me, they can be doing it with other people. I mean, like this was, this was their new business now, like now you're home and this is what you're doing. You know, you got to make the investment and they did. I wonder so if some of those collected like six or seven microphones from oh, different companies and things they like that. They all have like multiple kinds of earbuds, which ones work better, which ones don't. Yeah, I think, you know, we were testing everything then, um, you know, different webcams, microphones, all of that. Um, and then we started doing multiple cameras. So that was the next stage. So it was, okay, first we send you the equipment, then you go buy your own equipment. And then it was, you know, uh, in 2021, it was, okay, now we need multiple angles. We want to see a close-up overhead, and then we want a full view of what's happening. And then it was, okay, now we're bringing in full production. Now we have a camera operator. Now we have a switchboard. Now we're going back and forth. Then it was, now we're live streaming. So last year I did two live concerts with Keith Urban and Sammy Hagar. One was live streamed from Australia and the other one was live streamed from uh, California and flawless. I mean, all of it, like the technology, the one thing we got out of all of this is the technology has always been there. We just weren't using it for this purpose. So it was really interesting to see how the technology 
kind of enabled us to produce better events. Let me let me just backtrack to the one you mentioned before. So when you said multiple angles, were then speakers being asked to go into studios to do their presentation or were they setting up multiple cameras in their own home? Correct. Multiple cameras in their own home. Mm -hmm. uh, but wow. and then oh. so ironically, though, this year, the talent has built their own studios. So now we're at that stage. So a lot of my talent that I work with um, on site, they built full production studios and it's amazing. It's amazing what people can do, you know, even, you know, even just to use New York as an example, you look at the restaurant industry, right? They built restaurants outside on the street of their actual restaurant. So, um, you know, I feel like the hospitality industry is just filled with type A personalities <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're going to figure it out. And that's the beauty of it. Yep, fascinating. And, and I mean, is, do you work with a lot of sort of corporate speakers, you know, might be CEOs or people like that? And and do you see similar, uh, a similar path in, in how their kind of equipment level and their knowledge of working with the equipment has developed? Correct. So yes, um, even when um, even if I'm bringing in the celebrity for a virtual talk, or, you know, a cooking event, or whatever it is, there's always a host that's kind of interacting with them. And typically it is a C-level executive from the company, because again, the idea is first they promote their product and then we go into the entertainment. So that C-level executive will be at home. And yeah, I have a sound engineer on my events that will say to them, okay, position your camera arm's length away, brighten up your screen, you know, move the, you know, move the lighting, in this direction. So yeah, they all, they're all getting on board, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. I think it, it goes a long way. If you have somebody who knows what they're doing, at least helping mm -hmm. to direct and get the most out of the, uh, the, uh, the, the technology that you have there. So mm -hmm. yeah, I hear you. So, I mean, you have a, a really impressive, impressive roster of clients. Um, you know, a lot of celebrities, I believe you work with, how did that really come about? I mean, it, it's not like somebody just kind of knows your number off by heart when you're starting off, really. How do you, what, what do you feel was like the, the point where you broke into that circuit? Um, I just think it's more of, you know, what, what the client is looking for, right? So if they're looking for that element to really um, level up and get their audience engaged, um, you know, that's one really good way to do it. Um, because you're, you're getting this environment where you wouldn't typically have that access, right? Again, it's about asset access. So if you're, you know, a huge sports fan, and you know, we're interviewing, whether it's Scotty Pippen, or um, Jerry Rice, or someone like that, and you're able, and it's not just about their sports career. It's more about their personal journey, their motivation, how they kept moving. Why are they the best? Why, what did they do that, you know, no other player did or didn't do? And how did they become as great as they are? And it's interesting because the more I'm listening to all of these interviews that I'm doing and being a part of, there is a pattern, you know, it's, and, you know, the number one pattern that I've seen with all these was hard work. Like, you know, you're talking hours and hours of training and, and, you know, you'll hear Jerry Rice say um, his dad used to, th used to um, uh, throw bricks to him 
like they were building, they were both, they were in construction and that's how he learned to catch so well. His dad would toss him a brick, you know, as they're building stuff. And, you know, there's all of these different things along their personal journeys that really help them to develop the work ethic that they have. You know, like Michael Jordan, you know, everybody else would go home after practice. He goes home and eats and comes back and practices again. So there's all of these, you know, different stories that you're hearing, but then you start to see a pattern. And I think that's what people are looking for, that unique story um, that then internally helps their business. You know, you're trying to drive your employees to work harder and to motivate them. And what's a better way than having them listen to someone who's done it, you know, and done it successfully. And do you see parallels from that into your experience? I mean, your development of your career, uh, you know, are there are there hundreds of hours of hard work in the background that people then look at you and think of instant success? Right. <laughs> I don't know that they think instant success, but, you know, it's that old saying, the, the harder I work, the luckier I get. You know, a lot of people will say, uh, you know, luck. And I don't believe it's luck at all. I do think it's hard work. Um, and it's just being resilient and, you know, never giving up. Like you have to find what drives you. I know a lot of people will say, know your why. And um, not that you shouldn't know your why. You should, of course, know your why. Why are you doing it? That's, you know, a big part of what is going to keep you going. But what is really going to drive and motivate you on those days where you're exhausted and you don't want to get out of bed is, you know, that what is that drive like what drives you to keep going um what are your goals like what you know you have to have that element of what's next um so that you keep um recreating and building and and all of those things that you need to keep doing in order to stay relevant that's that's the key Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. So let's talk about what's next, as you, as you mentioned. Um, would love to kind of hear what you're pitching at the moment, uh, if you if you can share with us, um, and particularly what what are you most excited about? You know, are there event formats that are really interesting that you're pitching? Are there certain venues that you think are are really you know going to make it or break it in the next few months? What's exciting you that you're kind of proposing to your clients? So I think, you know, what's exciting for me is, um, you know, and I know a lot of people are hearing this word, the metaverse, um, and there's all different metaverses. And I don't want to get into the whole, like, what's a metaverse and all of that. But basically, um, depending on what metaverse you're looking into, um, a lot of the global brands are now advertising in the metaverse. So whether people want to say it's a fake reality and it's not the real world, it's the fake world. Yes, it is. Um, but the interesting thing now what's happening is it's not just a gaming community. It's not just for gamers anymore. So what's now happening is 
um, brands are integrating the real world into the metaverse world. So basically, you know, let's use Nike for an example. They created a new shoe only to be sold in the metaverse. And in six minutes, they made $3.1 million. So, you know, the concept is being proven. Um, and brands are advertising there. And as you know, the NFTs, there's many NFTs that are being bought and sold in the metaverse, and those are being built by brands. So this is the direction we're going, period. Um, so if you're a brand and you're looking for an additional revenue stream, that's how I'm trying to position it to my clients. It's not replacing anything. People have the misconception that, okay, well, and I've said this myself, I have a hard enough time living in the real world right now, trying to you know, execute and do everything I have to do in the real world. And then you have a secondary metaverse where now you know, I look at that as an additional revenue stream. So it's not replacing anything. It's in addition to what you're already doing. And it's gonna be another way that we interact with one another. Like, you know, it's a different form of social media. And eventually I think social media is going to be going in this direction more so than what we're currently used to seeing. That's really interesting. You see it's sort of a, a replacement of social media in a way? I don't see it as a replacement. I think it's going to be an enhanced version of how we're used to interacting. Like let's say on Instagram, right? It's one-way communication. You're scrolling, you're looking, you're, you're replying, you're doing all these things, but you can't go anywhere with anyone. So now if you're in the metaverse, you know, you're doing all the same thing. You're looking at stuff, you're looking at NFTs, you're looking at different buildings, you're going, now you can attend, a, you can attend a concert with a friend and you can, your avatar can buy designer clothing now um, built by these brands that are now selling clothing in the metaverse. So it's going to be a different way that we interact with one another and the entertainment element is already there. So they're already having concerts there. They're already going to events there. So this stuff is already happening. And are you uh, then pitching metaverse to any of your clients? Is that part of what you're working on? So we're talking, we're talking about it again. You know, I think people just two years ago had to wrap their brains around going virtual, um, which is a whole new way of doing things than what we ever did before. Right. And so now two years later, there's this element. So, you know, I think it's going to take a little bit of time for people to kind of catch on to what's happening, but what I'm seeing is brands are already doing it. So we have case studies to use as examples. And I think that always helps. Um, so yeah, the conversations are definitely happening. And what's next is, you know, that will be, in my opinion, another revenue stream for, for any kind of brand. I like it. So let's put a hypothetical situation. A brand kind of says, let's let's do it. Let's jump on the metaverse. Let's do an event on yep. the metaverse, a concert, whatever it is what would you do next? Like, what would be your your way to kind of plan that out? And if you have any insights into technology or partners that you right. would use, you know, feel free to share anything that, that you would um, in terms of that process. Right. So, you know, a couple of things has to happen, again, depending on what they want to do, but let's just use a concert as an example. Let's say they want to get 20 of their, you know, top customers or partners 
and they all want to go to this concert together and they want to have VIP seats to it and whatever else they want to have. So um, you can reach out to a concert that's already existing and maybe have them attend that, or you can build your own concert. So in my opinion, you're going to be able to rent space. Um, there's a lot of land being sold, a lot of venues being built and all of that sort of stuff. So I'm quite certain that you can't do it yet, but I'm quite certain you will be able to do it soon. You'll be able to rent a venue. You'll be able to bring in talent. They're already doing DJs. So DJs have already been performing there. So it wouldn't be a reach for a singer or an artist to then perform. And you would basically exactly, again, this is what I said to my clients about virtual. Anything we did in a live event, we can do virtual. So what, do you, what would you want to do if it was a live event? And they would tell me, and I say, okay, this is how we're going to do it virtually. So now the question is going to be, what did, what event did you want to do, whether it's live or virtual? We're going to take that same exact event and we're going to do it again in the metaverse. <laughs> same exact thing. Nothing changes. The only thing that's changing is your delivery, right? How are you attending? How are you interacting? Nothing else changes. I like that. I think it's very much around the, the ROI, right? The return on investment right. again. Um, if you can define that clearly, then the kind of avenue of getting there, whether it's live, metaverse, in person, whatever it is, that doesn't really change anything. As long as that works, right? Then, exactly. Then, then, it, then right. it works for everybody. Yeah. All the moving pieces still have to be great. And then, yeah. you know, and also, you know, you have to simplify things for people. I feel like, you know, they say... Um, uh, Tony Robbins uses this term, which I love. It's um, overcomplicating things is is like the devil, right? So you really want to simplify stuff for people. Um, I feel like when someone's trying to overcomplicate something, that is when people start to retract and not want to move forward because they're not necessarily understanding. So I think it's, you know, understanding it yourself, doing your homework, understanding how it works, and then finding a really simple way to explain that to other people. I like that. I think it's, it's, um, you know, simple is not easy. Simple Correct. is hard and, and making things feel simple uh, in a good way is, 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 is usually very complicated. Right? Exactly. So it's... And it's funny you say that because most people do not understand that. And it's like, I remember someone once said, oh, you're naive to think it's that simple. I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm like, that could be your opinion. But um, I think what people like to overcomplicate things. And I just don't think it has to be that complicated. It's like, if you're able to do your research and explain something in a simpler way, you're right. It is much harder to do that. But if you can do it, that's when you become successful because you want to make it accessible and easy for everyone. Once you start overcomplicating things, people are lost and they're like, they don't get it. So they're not going to move forward. They're going to stay in their current format because they know it and they trust it. So if you can't come to them with explaining something in simpler terms that makes sense, then, you know, that to me is success. So once you can do that, then you will have success. And do you think events are sort of a a channel in which to do that so you know if it's an internal event or if it's an association event if it can 
help bring people to content or to concepts and in a simple way, then that can be very effective, right? It's not just sort of an event where you have fun or whatever. If, if you can kind of reach those those objectives, it sounds like events can be a, a good technique almost to, to getting there. Exactly right. I mean, that is the point, right? I mean, you want to create an environment where people are comfortable and relaxed, right? So if they're having fun and they're enjoying the experience, they're going to be more open, you know, open to listening, more receptive, and you're connecting on a different level. So when you have those conversations that are business oriented and you're keeping it simple, like one of the number one things I hear from clients is we don't want to do a whole presentation. Like, but you know, no one wants to hear that anymore. Like there's, there's conferences set up specifically for that. Right. But you have to remember people's attention span is like three seconds these days. So, I mean, if you can't deliver, you know, the old elevator pitch, um, like, you know, you, you'll say to someone, describe to me your business in one sentence. If you can't do that, you don't understand your business. And that goes back to being keeping things simple again. Like even if you're running the most complicated technology and software, you know, the top salespeople have found a way to explain those things very simplistically so that everyone can understand. And it's taking those same elements with an event and executing the same way, creating that relaxed environment where everybody's having a good time, where you are allowing the client the opportunity to deliver that message, however they want to deliver it. And a lot of times with these events, they don't want to do a whole, you know, hour long presentation. You know, they want 20 minutes, you know, 20 minutes of business and the rest of the time is built in to have a good time. And then when it happens organically, that's the difference. Absolutely. I think that's a nice way to think about it. It's that, you know, apparent simplicity almost not simplicity just for not approaching it but but Correct. really kind of you know folding it out making it easy for everybody to understand right very good so what about kind of technology you touched on it a little bit i know you deal a lot with technology are, are there any specific pieces or brands of technology you know connected to events that you're particularly excited about or that you're working with that you see a lot of potential for I think, you know, where, where I'm doing my homework right now, again, is looking for people that can develop immersive experiences in the metaverse. I mean, if you're a kid in college right now, <laughs> that's where you want to be looking. You know, it's all of these people who can write code, all of the creatives that are building 3D, anything 3D, immersive 3D is, is going to be the future because the more interactive it is the better the experience right so if you know right now what i'm seeing is you can go into the metaverse and you can physically try on clothing on on your avatar and you can see what it looks like and if you're nike you're looking at a shoe and you're holding the shoe and you can do a 360 view of the shoe you can try the shoe on so it's all of this you know making it is interactive and immersive and lifelike as possible. Um, so it's any companies that are now starting to do all of that. And there's not that many actually. So there's a few that are doing it, um, but I'm sure, you know, right now, everybody, if you are a company that is digital, that does these creative um, immersive experiences, 
you know, you're looking to add on and build out that part of the business because there's going to be a demand for that. And are there any particular brands that uh, that you're looking at in particular platforms? And, you know, this is a... Uh... An open podcast, so we're very happy for you to mention ones. Um, if you yeah, want I mean, I don't have a brand that I'm looking at like specifically um, one more than the other. Um, so I don't have a particular brand, but um, I do think that there's going to be plenty more where, you know, plenty more in that area coming to life soon. Yeah, we're definitely seeing a lot of developments there, and and kind of um, we're at the moment we're preparing the virtual event tech guide. And it's interesting to see which ones are kind of more in that space. Um, I think the majority are still very much kind of website based, but um, but there are quite a few heading in that area. So interesting to see how that develops. And, and what about kind of, you know, the bigger challenges facing the industry? We've just, you know, we are hopefully coming out of this crazy COVID period. Um, but their challenges aren't over, you're right. Challenges are always coming in, in in different formats. Where do you see the biggest challenges? Uh, I don't know, maybe the next two or three years coming from. Um, I think, you know, social events, um, they're booming, right? The social events, everybody's like weddings. This year is crazy for weddings. You can't even book a venue for a wedding. Um, <clears throat> I think corporate is going to be interesting. Um, corporate events are still happening, of course. Um, we are starting to see more live than, you know, coming, starting from May on. Um, but to me, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what kind of happens going forward. I think right now, everybody's kind of tippy towing back into it. Um, you're not seeing these large scale, huge conferences that everybody was once doing, um, and I think what, in my opinion, might be happening is instead of them doing one large conference, they may split that up, you know, into regions where you're more local. I think businesses are realizing, why do we have to fly the whole company someplace when we didn't have to do that for two years? So they're saving a ton of money on less travel, um, you know, less cost to to build these venues that are so huge you know when you're looking into production um building a venue out for a thousand is very different than a hundred so i think there's going to be quite a bit of change on that front as far as scale size how often we'll see you know we'll see and if if you had to sort of bet on on, on something would you have any kind of bets that you would place on, on which direction that's going to go or how to, how to tackle that? Um, I think, you know, it's good to just have a variety of offerings for your client, right? Like I don't think virtual is never going to go away, right? It's never, it's part of the offering now. So if you're offering virtual, you're offering live and you're offering hybrid. So, and I think hybrid is a beautiful thing. Um, and I think it's really going to help companies because if they didn't want to do a large conference, what they can do in each region is you do a smaller version of the same conference and you live stream it. So then you kind of have viewing parties in every other city. So maybe you only have the speakers in one city and you're only flying them, right? So you don't have to fly the whole company. And then you're doing viewing parties in every other city. And in my opinion, it's just as effective. I mean, everybody is still participating. 
um, again, you're just interacting in a different way. It's never, you know, it, and, and again, nothing is ever going to replace live interaction, right? I'm just saying it might not happen as often as it used to. There'll be different forms of that live interaction and it may be smaller groups. Um, but again, the offering is have it all, right? Have virtual, have live, have hybrid, and eventually have them have the metaverse. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to come up with a new term for metaverse events. You know, it's like hybrid and then there's a hybrid yeah. enhanced metaverse events or something like that. I think that yeah, might be I a... mean, right now we're just kind of calling them 3D immersive events, but you know, we'll see. I'm sure there's going to be a, a terminology that will change. Do you think that. it would be possible in the future to have, you know, a hybrid event where you can be online or in person? but experience the same events in a metaverse version as well, kind of. Oh, yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. would you see the people in person as sort of also wearing VR and being in there? Or would they be sort of in a different version of the event and then, I guess, be rendered in the metaverse? I don't really right. know how that would work out. Yeah, I think in a perfect world, like what I love about the metaverse that we're seeing right now is you don't need the headsets. You don't really need any of that. So I think once that gets developed to a higher level, you know, it's there, but it's a little glitchy. It's a little slow. I think that's going to improve. I think people like not having to wear it, right? You know, not having to wear the headgear, not having to. But then I think there's a place for that because the experience you get wearing it is, you know, if you're, it, I'm sure you've done it, you know, like you, you really do feel like you're there. So Again, I think it's going to be up to the individual. Like you're going to get to choose the experience you want. And I think that's going to be the wow factor, right? You can wear the headset if you want to feel like you're really there, or you can enter in as your avatar and you don't need to wear the headset, or you can actually go to the event. So you're going to have a choice. And I think that's a beautiful thing because if, you know, this ever happens again, you know, with a virus or whatever, and let's say we couldn't really be in person or folks are not comfortable being in person, then I think this offers a lot of different alternatives. Yep. I'm interested in that concept of offering the ultimate choice, really, because if yeah. the event, if there's a good reason for the event to exist, if there are good people involved, then having different options on how to access the event should just present um, better opportunities, right? And hopefully we can keep right. it simple so that it's just not confusing over all the different mm -hmm. options, right? Yep, that'll be the interesting thing. <laughs> Absolutely. So a bit of a big picture question for you. Um, if you were able to change anything about the event industry uh, on, a, on a sort of macro level, um, what would you like to change or how would you like to see the event industry change in some way? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, I think, you know, after this uh, experience, the last two years, um, I think what really needs to change is, you know, there's so many different elements to the event. There's not just one, like trying to get the whole industry united. You know what I mean? You have hospitality, then you have the hotel industry, you have the restaurant industry. We all kind of fall under hospitality. So you have event planners. Event planners weren't even factored in initially 
to the government bailout, right? So it was, you either had to be like, it was so wonky, the whole thing. It was like, are you a venue owner? Are you a restaurant owner? Are you an event planner? Like they didn't have all of the elements factored in. So I just don't think anyone understands what hospitality is and who's involved in that industry. So I would love to see all of it united somehow under like one umbrella, but where everybody has their lane, you know, you had the restaurants that were hit so hard and then you had hotels that were just completely shut down, Uh, but then you had the small business, you know, venues and event planners and also, you know, the social planners that are doing it. Um, And none of them were really considered until kind of the end. So to me, I think, you know, the industry as a whole has to somehow come together more and, and just be included. I feel like, you know, even when you're filling out something and you go to the drop down, there's nothing for event planning ever. It's either entertainment, but event planners don't fall under entertainment. So there's really no category. So I think that has to change a little bit having more diverse categories of what's involved in hospitality. It's definitely a battle being fought by many. And I think it's, you make a good case for the, um, the reasons why it's an important battle to fight. And in terms of sort of this future where we'd like to see the industry going, are there any kind of types of events or any formats, any kind of experiences that you believe we should see more of and we will see more of in the future? Um, Good question. I think, um, you know, what we're going to see more of is, again, you know, people want to be in person with one another. So I do think we will see those. I just think they might be a little bit different in a sense of like, you know, maybe less attendees and maybe more of them spread out throughout the country instead of doing one regional one. So we're all already kind of seeing stuff like that. And um, what I would like to see more of is um, just, uh, you know, different ways of delivering kind of the same event, which is what we're currently doing. So maybe we're live streaming it, you know, bringing in more technology. I think technology has really been a savior during these times that we're going through and experiencing. And I think having more technology Um, is a good thing and seeing what's new out there and, you know, being able to interact more with it. Like, for example, you know, you're using Zoom and you have a chat and you can chat questions in and you can use the Q&A and you can raise your hand. So they've already added, you know, some new features there. Like, you know, now you can click little, you know, when you raise your hand, you can click a little question mark and like little things that you can do there. So I just think enhancing the technology that we have and and utilizing more of that to make the experience uh, better for folks who maybe are not in person. Yeah, it sounds like the next evolution of the uh, the virtual side of events. I think you're, we're all looking forward to that. 
Alicia, thank you so much. I think we've covered a lot of different areas. Um, I didn't expect us to go so far into the metaverse, <laughs> but it's really interesting to understand, um, you know, where you're seeing that going and how you're kind of uh, having conversations about that. And uh, I hope you will let us know when you do uh, your next event in the metaverse. We'd be interested to, to understand how that works. And maybe uh, if you give us a behind the scenes look at that, we'd, uh, we'd be very grateful. Yeah, that would be actually a great idea to do something like that. I'd love it. <laughs> So I'd like to end with the question that we ask all our guests, uh, which is to recommend another guest that you believe should be uh, on the podcast. Yeah, I think um, Elaine Pofeld would be great. She is an independent journalist. She writes for Cranes, for Forbes. Um, her focus is on the micro business. So she actually wrote about me in Forbes. So she focuses on entrepreneurs that are running a company by themselves and hitting over a million dollars in revenue. Um, it's a new niche that, you know, two years ago or maybe five years ago was a very small group of entrepreneurs. Now it has, you know, it has expanded and she really focuses in on what those traits are. And again, the commonalities in each entrepreneur that has been able to do this as a solopreneur. So for myself, um, I'm included in her next book. She's written two books now about, about each of these individuals. And I'm in her second book, which is Tiny Business, Big Money. Um, and I think she'd be great because she can offer a lot of insight that can help entrepreneurs get to that next level, especially if you're doing it alone. Um, so as you know, you know it's, it's lonely at the top. <laughs> <laughs> but um, is what they say, right? And uh, and it can be, you know, it can be. So I think going in and having uh, some knowledge of of what other entrepreneurs have done along the way can help, which is what I like doing. I like to help other entrepreneurs kind of get to the next stage um, because it is hard to do on your own. And um, you know, whether you're bringing in, you know, independent contractors or you know, different partners that you may partner on to execute things. There's ways that you can achieve that result um, with some outside help, um, not necessarily having to hire employees because not everyone wants to scale. There's other ways to scale without hiring employees. Um, my personal opinion, I don't want to be a manager. I don't like managing other people. Um, so I'd rather have a partner or an independent contractor that I can just tell what to do and they know what to do. Um, so there's, there's different avenues to get to that next level. And I think she'd be great to kind of help others do that. Excellent. We'll definitely, uh, have a, have a word with her. And I think uh, a lot of that applies to so many people across the event industry. So thank you for that recommendation. Sure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for being on the Event Manager podcast. I wish you much success with uh, all your events, including the ones in the metaverse. And uh, we look forward to hearing more about your uh, your next events and uh, and hopefully um, turn how they turn out. Well, thank you, Miguel. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.